So welcome to Immigration Nerds. Today we have EIG attorneys Storm Estep and Ryan Knight. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you. Yeah, so uh, today we're doing a, a little bit of a different recording. Uh, we're doing a rapid fire round with the Unified Regulatory Agenda. So that came out last Wednesday. The Unified Regulatory Agenda for spring 2019 was released. Uh, it's also known as the Semi-Annual Regulatory Agenda, and it's published twice a year. So uh, usually during the spring and the fall. So agencies are required to publish their agendas describing the regulatory actions they are developing or have recently completed. Uh, the regulation proposals from USCIS in particular have been quite extensive, and we've picked the top five that we find to be most notable. First, we'll see if you love it, you hate it, how do you rate it? Number two, we'll go on to the likelihood of that rule being adopted. And three, if adopted, what social impact slash outcome do you see resulting? So okay. sounds good. Yeah. So we, we got we got the rules down. All square. <laughs> I, I probably should put some game show host music <laughs> on in the right. background. So uh, number one, so USCIS wants to make it harder for doctors to qualify to initiate green card medical exams. And here the specific verbiage is the Department of Homeland Security intends to propose regulations addressing filing requirements for the medical certification for disability exceptions, which is form N-648, a process to designate and revoke the status of licensed physicians authorized to complete form N-648 and other changes designed to enhance the integrity of the process. Storm, start with you. Sure. Love it, hate it. How do you rate it? Uh, I mean, I dislike this. Uh, I didn't it feel so strong as hate, but yeah. the the uh, uh, out of ten, maybe like a four point eight or something. You know, it's just it seems okay. this lukewarm. Yeah, lukewarm. it seems like a solution in search of a problem. Really, uh, I don't know, like sort of where this is coming from. Uh, it seems like the doctors who you know, presently conduct AOS medical examinations, do so fine, you know, they're adequate. And so, you know, th this increased effort to all of a sudden uh, care about this and like make this a priority uh, just seems strange. Um, I, but I do think uh, the, you mentioned that there could be a process of revoking the status of licensed mm -hmm. physicians to to actually be able to, to do these. So it's not like you can go to any doctor to begin with. Uh, you already have to go through USCIS like kind of approved doctors in order to you know complete this form and everything the, the, there can already be cues and lines and things and so that's that's sort of what I foresee here is would be uh, you know if this is actually limiting the the doctors who can can perform this examination it's just going to increase you know delays you could have situations where people are ready to show up to their AOS interview they've been trying to get a med a medical examination of all things. Um, and that's what's limiting them from actually obtaining their green card. If they, of course, show up to an AOS interview and they haven't done their medical yet and they, you know, they need to provide this in response to a request for evidence, it can just add weeks and weeks to their to actually getting the green card. So I'm not going to say quite go so far to say I hate it because who knows what this could actually this is so 
vague what they're saying here and who knows right um so what do you see is the potential underlining intention of this yeah so i i'm i actually think uh, a lot of what this administration does in in the world of immigration is to just sort of uh make things more difficult even when they, they they can't outright um you know take otherwise eligible green card holders and, and think of reasons to to, mm. to disallow them to having green cards, but they can sure make sure that every step of the way seems to have all of these obstacles that uh, they don't need to have. And so I don't think they're they're ultimately concerned with efficiency here or yeah, right. it just seems like more T- in that taking realm. measures to probably slow up. Yeah. The make make yeah, make process. the process more less appealing, you know. Right. Um you've been waiting very patiently. <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, I agree on, on one thing that Storm said is very, very important, and that uh, Cisna and I expect the new director very much the actions they've been taking have been to slow things down and to make it more difficult. So, mm-hmm. totally in agreement with that. Um, on this one particular, you know, the one of five or six that we'll do, I, I, slight, I will disagree a little bit. Um, I'm actually, I, I don't have a problem with this particular uh, regulatory change. This, uh, to the best of my knowledge, this was his uh, tardy change from an inspector general report that came out last year that said some of the doctors that we've approved uh, are criminals. (laughs) And uh, um, I think, you know, they, according to the New York Times, they ran 5,500 doctors. I mean, that's how many are approved. And they found 130 of uh, 130 doctors that had criminal wrongdoing. So as Storm said, this is a, a solution without a problem. Yeah, that's not that many doctors, um, you know. So sure. so perhaps maybe this isn't uh, where the focus should be. On the other hand, I also consider that this is a really intimate setting. You know, not only is it an intimate setting, the medical screening itself is extremely important for admissibility purposes. If USCIS can do a better job of screening the doctors, I mean, there was one doctor who mm-hmm. tried to have a complaining patient killed, actually hired a hitman. So that's a, that's an anecdote. That, <laughs> that, is an, that is an anecdote. That is not the norm. Right. But um, when you and have... It's on the Reddit streams somewhere? Yeah. Oh my goodness. When you have a, a, um, something like that, it does kind of raise eyebrows. So I'm not too concerned with USCIS wanting to better vet their doctors. Okay. That's this one. No, <laughs> I'm sure no, right. that's, Storm that's and I good. will be sure. green. It's, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, we need the, the other perspectives. Uh, so very quickly, so do you think this will be uh, adopted? Uh, uh, it depends so on Sorry. the changes they make. I, I would assume that this one will probably slip under the radar just like that Inspector General report did. It's not... It won't meet too much resistance, maybe. Yeah, I, I, same. I, I think this is fairly likely to be adopted unless there are you know specific designations that they're making that they can't even think of a rational basis for the reason that they're actually uh, imposing this this new stipulation on the on the medical exam or on, on the doctor themselves, anything like that, right? But it'll probably, you know... It'll go through pretty easily. It it could go through. So we were just saying very quickly, you know, if adopted with the social impact and it sounds like really you're you're vetting doctors having more ethical physicians uh, to go through the the process that will probably most likely be the the impact. Sure. Well, uh, just as what Storm said. So I believe that you're going to have better medical care, mm-hmm. right, by better doctors. And Storm believes that uh, it will be some delay because you're going to have less doctors to have access to. And sure. I think both of those are true. Right. Yep. Yep. All right. That's round one. Um, <laughs> round one. <laughs> so number two, 
USCIS is looking to add a fee to participate in the H-1B electronic lottery, which they will start in April 2020. Uh, Employers will now have to pay twice when they pre-file and again if they're selected. And very briefly, uh, the abstract, the Department of Homeland Security will propose to amend its regulations to require a fee for H-1B registrations required by 8 CFR. Love it. Hate it. How do you rate it? Um, I, w- I wish I, I would love it, but I, mm. I actually hate it. Um, <laughs> only because USCIS is a fee-driven agency. They're going to want to collect fees. And if they, the more fees they collect, the better job they should do. My problem is not with them wanting to collect more fees. If I could see that that would uh, interpret into a better job, mm-hmm. then I would be for, you know, you know, filing a, a small fee or whatever it's going to be to do your H-1B petition. But just like I see with the anti-fraud fee and the Acquia fee and the other fee, the premium processing fees, I mean, they, they're already not using the money to do a better job. So mm-hmm. why I, I can't be in support of sending them more money. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I agree. I also hate it. I give this probably a 1.8 out of 10. <laughs> I love um, how you're doing the rating system. This yeah. Is great. yeah. Uh, again, you know, it's like we're finding all these solutions that don't really have problems. So the current process, you attach your filing fees to a petition that um, could be selected in the lottery. If it is selected in the lottery, then, of course, you're paying those filing fees uh, to put petitioners in a position where they need to pay a fee before anything has gone through a lottery you essentially have the second half chunk of their checks returned if it wasn't if it doesn't go through the lottery but it's like what 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 are they paying for like why do petitioners have to pay to just be a part of the lottery um if their case is selected then yeah they'll, they'll collect their fees everything will be fine i think this is just another way for them to add this um you know arbitrary barrier that they've thought of uh, in order to prevent uh the process from being as appealing as it is and right. it, it's already not that appealing i mean <laughs> right yeah, yeah it's a wall of fees i mean <laughs> yeah well why not get taxed if you can be taxed again <laughs> and i could see uh in terms of likelihood of adoption i can see this meeting some bit of resistance especially you know with companies who are trying to get their employees into the country it might be a little pushback um, this, sure. This is money. This area. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So that so that's one of the even if it is implemented, this could be one of the ones that, um, you know, has a strong basis to challenge. However, I don't think this one has the, as as strong as a basis to challenge as some of the other mm-hmm. ones we're talking we're going to talk about later. But um, yeah, this could be overturned that way as well, even if it is implemented. Mm-hmm. And uh, this might I know we'll go through some other regulations, but this might be a way to kind of make the H-1B more restrictive uh, Mm. for the people that this administration wants. Um, When I, in in previous practice, when I talk to smaller companies, I mean, they really sometimes have a hard time with these fees. I mean, especially if they have 25 or more employees, that's an extra 1500 bucks. And Mm -hmm. um, big companies don't mind. I mean, they won't mind, but smaller companies, they need the labor too. And why, yeah, I I really think that this is going to kind of exclude them. Right, right. Yeah, that gets into the the impact. Who, mm-hmm. who mostly would be impacted? Small companies, the smaller companies. That's right. Sure, companies. You know, the people who are trying to compete. Yes, <laughs> right. Move up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Number three, USCIS proposal to end concurrent filing of I four eight fives with I one forties, even when priority date is current. 
The Department of Homeland Security will propose regulatory provisions designed to improve the efficiency and the processing of application to register permanent residents or adjust status form I-485, uh, reduce processing times, improve the quality of inventory data provided to partner agencies, uh, reduce the potential for visa retrogression, promote efficient usage of available immigrant visas, and discourage fraudulent or frivolous filings. DHS proposes to eliminate the concurrent filing of visa petitions and form I-485 for all applicants seeking a visa. Who did I leave off with? I, I can take this one first, yeah. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, so I thought this one was funny because they're abstract, I agree with. So you didn't love it or hate uh, it, you thought it was funny. Well, this was, <laughs> yeah, this one chuckle. puts me into uh, two camps, right? Because I love right. all of the little policy changes that they're talking about there like i i love that if they would reduce processing times and improve the quality of inventory data providing you know to partner agencies reducing the potential for visa retrogression i think that'd be wonderful promoting the efficient usage of available immigrant visas i love all of that right mm. 10 out of 10 i love those great but uh to suggest that uh we figured it out and it's the concurrent filing of 485s with our i140 i mean it's totally ridiculous there's no not even a string of bubblegum, as people say, you know, mm. this causal link from one to the other, um, especially if for these employers who have I-140s that ultimately go on to be approved and then, you know, they've already filed their 485. That is the efficient process. Like we've mm. already we're, we're already there. So it's like, uh, you know, now we're adding uh, as opposed to just taking care of it in one filing when you're current and everything. The, the more filings you add for them to have to do, the, the less efficient this is going to be. 3.4 out of 10. 3.4. Yeah, that's not too high, right? Um, I, li I like this one. I'm not going to say I, I love it. But uh, my, my reason for liking it mm. comes solely from one, one particular thing. Uh, and like Storm said, concurrent filings are, or not, is not going to solve any of those problems or, or mm -hmm. you know, make things any better. My problem is that because of the visa backlogs, every month you're going to have uh, thousands sometimes of, of Indian nationals and Chinese nationals who are rushing to file their green card application mm -hmm. as soon as possible. So that, you know, the day that visa bulletin comes out, they really want to file. And I understand that. Why wouldn't they? They're current. They've been waiting for years and years and years and they want to file. And, you know, the first of the month comes around and they file and all of a sudden, you know, the visa backlog retrogresses Retrogress, yeah. by months and months or, or God forbid, even years, and I'm mm. sitting here. I mean, I just had one the other day. This guy has a 485 green card application been pending for over two years. Wow. Why did he even bother to file it? You know, USCIS cannot issue the green card. It's statutorily capped. Mm -hmm. So why would you have a concurrent filing? You know, because of the way the visa backlog works, that every single time it comes up, people are going to file and you're going to have to retrogress. It's really a stupid... Uh, well, excuse me. I don't think it's the smartest uh, policy. And if, if they did away with concurrent filings, I think it would help the visa backlog. I don't agree with the visa backlog to begin with. Right. But um, since that's, you know, they're statutorily capped, there is a visa backlog. The concurrent filing is kind of screwing things up a little bit. Right. The, the adoption of this, I guess, is a little bit of a tough one to gauge in this sort of sense. Yeah. I, I think this yeah. one will be fairly likely to be implemented, you know, because mm. they can already kind of um, have this internal policy. Like, let's adjudicate the I-140 first, and then we'll look at the 485, even though they're filed at the same time concurrently. Yeah, because this is only for the people who are current 
you know, at the time of filing the mm-hmm. I-140 and the 485. Not meeting too much obstacles mm-hmm. there. Guess we already went over the potential outcome. Well, really, is just adding more steps than than necessary, making it more just just a longer drawn out process. So I'm I'm a huge proponent of uh, the government working as efficiently as possible. I already think mm-hmm. they they handle things so inefficiently to begin with, and to to give the government any further ability to add in efficiency, I think it's just going to add these catastrophic delays. But but you know maybe this one too, like like you know Ryan saying could could actually help some folks. So we'll have to see on that one. That's what we're saying. We're in the, this one. We're kind of in the middle on. Yeah. Small yeah. Potential. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. Good, good, good. So this is a, a two part uh, series. So number four, uh, USCIS will revise the definition of specialty occupation to increase focus on obtaining the best and the brightest foreign nationals. Uh, the abstract. The Department of Homeland Security, DHS, will propose to revise the definition of specialty occupation to increase focus on obtaining the best and the brightest foreign nationals via the H-1B program and revise the definition of employment and employer-employee relationship to better protect U.S. workers and wages. In addition, DHS will propose additional requirements designed to ensure employers pay appropriate wages to H-1B visa holders. Uh, so the the two part in that first, we'll, we'll talk about the, the revised definition of the specialty occupation. And then two, this H-1B altering the definition of employment and employer employee relationship and how that will better protect U.S. workers. And will that better protect <laughs> U.S. workers? That's really the question. Start wherever you like. Sure. Uh, I'll start with the definition. And um, I hate it. I think it's unconstitutional. I give it a rating of 0.0. The executive branch does not have the authority to change the statutory definition. That's Congress's job. And the H-1B was not meant to attract the best and brightest. That's not what it's for. It's to plug temporary labor shortages, high-skill labor shortages. Congress has given the executive branch a lot of power over immigration, but not this particular field, not in this area. He can't do that. I, I disagree. Um, even if I think it would be better for the country or, or you know, new, new things moving forward, he cannot change the, the definition. No administration can change the definition of what a specialty occupation is by themselves. That's Congress's job. Got it. Hard line. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Zero point zero. Uh, <laughs> uh, and yeah, this is one of the ones where I was. Even if this were to go through, I think there's litigation that can follow from this to 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 overturn and and put us back where we were. I think too. Uh, this is one of the instances where they're keeping things vague, you know. Uh, but they they really do have bigger policy changes in mind as to what they they're really getting at when they say they want to. Uh, you know, have the best and brightest worker. It's really a particular types of folks that they want in the country as opposed to others. And I think that this is going to be used, to, yeah, as a tool to, to try to unconstitutionally have a hand in immigration that they really shouldn't for the H-1B program, which should be about specialty occupation. I mean, that's what statutorily the, the program is for. And so mm-hmm. this is, it's completely ridiculous. To, but yeah, this is just the attack the government has taken. Right. Uh, so in terms of adoption, it sounds like it would be fought tooth and nail. Oh, I think so. I'd file yeah. a lawsuit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. this is yeah, no good. This goes into comment period. I think you're going to have sort of, they're going to have 
you know, sort of outrageous uh, comments to respond to. And it'd be interesting to see how they would. But no, this is I, this is a no go for me. No go. The, the likelihood of it being adopted is low, but I, I guess the, the social impact is sort of falls in line with, you know, the, the whole merit based family based immigration policy. And it's trying to move it towards that merit base and attracting sure. different workers from those institutions and those industries for economic reason falls in line. With this sort oh, of sure. And I, I mm. am one of the people that support that outlook, but they can't use the H-1B vehicle to do that. It's illegal. Mm-hmm. Got it. Nice. So for five, will this protect U.S. workers? There's two different um, proposals there. So one is to actually attack the statutory definition, which, which USCIS or the administration cannot do. But the other is employee-employee relationship. Now, the statute does say you must have an employee-employee relationship to do an H-1B visa, but that is not actually defined. It's defined by common law, and it's up to the agency to define it. So if they want to change employer-employee relationship or redefine it, they do have the constitutional authority, in my opinion, to do that. Now, whether it's going to protect American workers or anything else is different. Yeah, I think that's... So we we always sort of go with the definition that employment law is comfortable with, which is, uh, you know, control over the work. So it's like if the employer has control over the employee's work, um, you know, they, they really ultimately are an employee versus, you know, among other... There are other things too, but this is the big causal test versus uh, being an independent contractor and sort of being told like, this needs to get done, but you're, you know, you figure it out. You're, you're sort of independent in that sense. It's really strange for immigration to have like a different take on this. I think this is another area where we can bring, you know, litigation about if this goes into place, because this is, this appears to just be arbitrary. Like, I don't know, unless they, they really are able to back this up with like, these huge instances of like protecting U.S. workers and stuff. I think that's just you know a term you throw out there to say whatever you're doing, and then yeah, this this one to me, I it seems pretty arbitrary and capricious. If they're really going to like get into these like you know Ryan was saying how with common law, it's like this is pretty well established what we're we're getting at here, and hmm. why why does immigration have to have these these double standards uh, that are more restrictive? I'll give this one a one point two. Um, For I know this is immigration nerds, but if there are any art nerds, the uh, common law factors for uh, control actually comes down from a case that came about here in D.C., Reed v. Committee for Nonviolence, uh, about a sculpture for uh, homeless. Um, There was a a sculpture that and it was an independent contractor and the court, Supreme Court, actually had to decide uh, who the sculpture belonged to based on the elements of control. So, but uh, as far as immigration is concerned with this, I really think, and this is a personal opinion, that that USCIS is behind behind the eight ball on the way that uh, information technology and companies are working these days. Mm-hmm. People work remotely. People work on site or, or uh, excuse me, off site for uh, at other locations in order to run tests and things. And this employer employee relationship uh, clamping down on it is really interfering with the way businesses are, are being run today. It's simply not up with the times. I mean, we're talking about control factors when, when for gas stations, right? Mm-hmm. Does Exxon own the gas station or not? And those are cases that were determined back in, you know, like the 40s, 50s, and 60s. Well, the, the nature of the business world has changed considerably. An employer-employee relationship is, is a lot more fluid. Got it. So for the final one, uh, number six, 
DHS planning to remove H4EAD program. On February 25th, 2015, uh, DHS published a final rule extending eligibility for employment authorization to certain H4 dependent spouses of H1B non-immigrants. DHS is publishing this notice of proposed rulemaking to amend that 2015 final rule. Uh, DHS is proposing to remove from its regulations certain H-4 spouses of H-1B non-immigrants as a class of aliens eligible for employment authorization. So removing H-4 dependent spouses from the classes of aliens eligible for employment authorization. So this is the, the, the most notable proposal that was released last Wednesday. So let's start off, Storm. Sure. What we got? Yeah. Like it, so I, it. No, I hate this one. Okay. Um, you know, 0. 0.0. The, uh, so just to be clear, too, what we're talking about here is the, the H40AD just allows these dependent spouses of H1B, um, you know, visa holders to be able to enter the workforce. And so the reality is a lot of these spouses are professionals themselves. And so this finally gave them the opportunity uh, when they're in, for, you know, from a country where they're, they're experiencing these very long backlogs in order to be able to, you know, they're, they have an approved I-140, they will eventually be able to adjust, but in, in the interim, that they just have the ability to enter the workforce and work, right? I mean, that's, that's all this is really sane. And to take that away, I think is ridiculous. I, like I, I think in 2015, it was, it was a change that was due and, and to, to go back in time, I think is, um, it's really horrible. So over 90% of the, the H4 uh, EADs that are issued are for, are for women. Um, and I th- don't think that that's much of a surprise for this administration to, to attack a program like this, uh, where you have that kind of skewing towards, uh, this benefiting women over over men, and and also um, I think a lot of people's problems that get talked about with with EADs in particular are you know it's company bad actors that they don't like as opposed to the immigrants themselves. But our, historically, our country really has this deep history of if there's immigration attached to an issue at all, like if they if they don't like an employer's practices, but we can somehow blame immigrants for it. I think we really do have a deep history of, of doing that. And I, and I see that the H4EAD in particular and, and how it's talked about, you know, by everyone. And so about its implementation, though, too, even if it is enacted, they, they do seem very motivated on this. And they're, I think they are going to try. Uh, but this is one I, I think w- that will get overturned via litigation um, when, once it comes about and things should move forward as normal. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I... I actually have mixed feelings about this um, because, not because of the reality of what the H-4 EAD offers, but just in the way that it was created. Mm-hmm. And um, if I'm going to say that, you know, I don't think that the executive branch has the ability to go in and change the immigration statutes without Congress, you know, certain things that I like about immigration and that I agree with, including the H-4 or, or including DACA, uh, I consider those to be uh, executive overreach that they should have never existed in the first place. So, you know, when the administration is saying that they're going to take away the H4 EAD, it pains me uh, to see that go away. But on, on the other hand, it should have never been created by the administration in the first place. 
I am 100% in support of H4 EADs, and I think that Congress should pass a law immediately to grant work authorization to spouses of H-1B employees. And I don't think at this point, knowing how the H-1B uh, system works, is that it's a perfect path to a green card. I don't even think it should be restricted to those who only have I-140s or in AC-21 extensions. Mm -hmm. It should go to everybody. Mm -hmm. But, uh, I mean, until Congress does it, I really... It's, it's hard for me because I, I agree with the H-4 EAD so much, but... I mean, if I want to be a, a principled constitutionalist, as I as I try to be, uh, this authority didn't come from the right place, and it needs to come from the right place. It needs to come from Congress. I I disagree with the reason they're doing it. You know, I think it's the the only reason it should be rescinded is because it wasn't constitutionally uh, authorized in the first place. But it should be immediately reenacted through Congress. That's how it should work. I yeah, I agree that Congress should really step in on a lot of these, especially with DACA too. I mean, it's it's just crazy <laughs> where where we are in 2019 with a lot of these. You can't put the toothpaste back in the tube, right? Mm -hmm. And so these are uh, yeah, that that's kind of how the litigation is proceeding on these. These are benefits that people are now relying on, and so it, yeah, it, it's it's really hard to just you know summarily overturn them once once they're in place and people actually have their documents. And I do, um, just on the practical realities, as Storm mentioned, lots of these H-4 EAD beneficiaries are women, and no small amount of them are actually uh, professional women, mm -hmm. H-1B caliber yep. professional, uh, as we like to think of here. And, you know, in addition to the visa backlog or to the green card backlog of, you know, 7, 8, 12 years, you're essentially consigning these educated women to the home mm -hmm. because they have no eligibility to work. That's and right. that is so antiquated. I mean, right. it's it's hard to even express. You know, right? How yeah, terrible that is. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 a, a tough situation because those who come over here on an H one B and they they have a spouse, especially an educated spouse, and they're basically forced to be uh, a one income earning family, which immediately places you know, the breadwinner at the top and everybody else in a subservient role. Right. Yeah. Right. So uh, this, as it continues, is just at the proposal uh, stage, just reading up on the estimated timelines for these new rules, if they would be adopted. So they actually said it would be unlikely uh, the proposed rule will be ready by the end of May. Uh, revoking H-4 work authorization has appeared on many unified agendas before in the past. Mm -hmm. um, uh, once the proposed rule is entered into the federal register, the case mo most likely will be that DHS will opt for a 60-day public comment period. And once the comment period has ended, it usually takes around eight months for DHS to answer all relevant comments. After that portion, uh, it publishes a final rule. And so following this typical schedule, uh, it will mean that no final rule is expected to be enacted until at least June 2020. So this, this is just a, a general estimate uh, timeline. So for, for those who were uh, wondering, when would this go into, into action? Uh, so um, yeah. June 2020. Well, and one thing to add about that, too, we don't know, uh, like, what the mechanism would be for how, like, let's say that, that this does move forward to being proposed, you know, and it be, does become a final rule. 
there's this question of, okay, now are we going to revoke the H4 EADs that have already been issued? Or can you, yeah. uh, it, will there be a time frame where they're just going to stop? Or is it just the case that you're not allowed to renew anymore? When this was, uh, when all of this was proceeding with DACA, which also has an EAD attached, so uh, people with deferred action could also now apply for an EAD for the first time in their lives. Yeah. Um, there's also uh, that... Uh suit that's going on i think in dc the save jobs usa where the the judge actually oh, yeah. paused uh, or stayed the proceedings until uh uscis has made a final decision on what they're going to do right with this rule um you say in june 2020 uh it's likely that the judge will wait but um the department of justice is actually forced to defend the constitutionality of this statute in that or of this H4 EAD program in that suit, they're probably going to give a pretty lackluster attempt, which is pathetic. At the comments, um, yeah, it'll fast track it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, you know, any good lawyer should be able to argue any case, whatever side, you know, it doesn't matter. But I really think given this administration's attitude, they won't even try. And mm -hmm. I think that's pathetic, even though I don't agree with, I mean, I don't agree with it, but I really think they're, they're not interested in all in this H4 EAD or pursuing it or, or having it exist. Right. Uh, well, uh, I thank you guys for coming on, and we're definitely going to keep our eyes on all these proposals that we just went over as as the time continues, and might have to have you guys back if you know if there's any changes. But I appreciate you being the the first contestants on <laughs> the rapid fire. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the rapid fire immigration in game. Maybe that's the title. But yes, no, I, I thank you. Thank you guys. And sure. definitely we'll uh, keep you guys up to date as we get more information. So appreciate yeah. your time. Thanks for thank having you. us. Ian. For more content and immigration updates, please visit our website at EIGlaw.com. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at EIG underscore law to join the conversation. Thank you for listening. See you next time.